Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing my biggest takeaways from every week four NFL game, excluding Thursday Night Football. We already got to that last episode. Then I want to get to Kyrie Irving's press conference. I know this was a while ago, you know, a few days ago, but I still want to get to that. I think it, you know, just tells us a lot about what happened, what failed with the Boston Celtics. How much do I buy into that? And then my MLB, uh, out not my that's the fourth thing we get to but third I want to go take a look back at my preseason MLB regular season predictions out the regular season is wrapped up and then to wrap up to yes to wrap up today's episode I am going to be discussing or sharing my MLB playoff predictions uh, sorry, I meant to get this episode out Sunday but then I didn't finish my MLB playoff predictions in time. So I, I that my MLB playoff predictions and my week four NFL review was uh, recorded today on Tuesday, and then the rest, the Kyrie Irving portion and me looking back at my regular season predictions were Sunday. So if you hear, hear any like weekend references, I'm sorry. I meant to get that. I'm still striving for three episodes a week, but I'm not sure I'll be able to get one out for the next three days or so. A very very busy schedule ahead of me, but. Just enjoy today's episode. First, we're going to start things off with my week four NFL review. So let's get to that. Okay, so we're going to basically just going to go through every game. My biggest takeaways of this week, excluding Thursday Night Football between the Eagles and the Packers. I got to that last episode. So every game on Sunday plus Monday Night Football between the Steelers and the Bengals, excuse me, I almost said Broncos, because first we were getting to the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars and the Bron- Denver Broncos. Jaguars won this one 26-24 in Denver. Gardner Minshew, uh, th- this, he just continues to ball out. I mean, this guy, he's a magician. Like Some of the stuff he did in the pocket where he would just elude the pressure and, you know, we were one play at the uh, two, what's his name, Armstead, and he's kind of their backup running back. I, I don't know what he is. I've never really heard of him, but he got his first receiving touchdown. Minshew avoids about three sacks and passes a touchdown. There's that one late in the game where he get a strip sack, fumbles it, picks it back up, gets a completion for about three yards, and Von Miller roughed him on the play, roughing the passer on the play. And then there's another play with the double uh, pump to both sides uh, on the screen pass, fake to both sides, and then a pass to Dan O'Shaughnessy up the middle for a touchdown. And he led them to that game-winning field goal drive. Josh Lambeau the game-winning field goal, so Minshew has looked great. For the Broncos now, I mean, also I want to add to the Jaguars. Leonard Fournette ran all over the Broncos. That defense needs to be better. They need to get to Minshew. You can't let him dance around and find that completion. Fournette just ran all over you. Great blocks by the Jaguars, though I will stay in the run game. But the Broncos, they're in trouble. Uh, anyone, I heard a few people, people I respect, say they're going to go 10-6 and six and make the playoffs. I said I doubt it. If you told me that last, I loved their team last year. I thought they, I had high expectations for the team last year. But this year, no. I learned my lesson. I, you know, Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton have been a nice uh, receiving duo. I think Noah Fant's got some potential there at tight end. But Joe Flacco's been a... Philip Lindsay's been a little disappointing besides his week three performance. And that defense has just been, eh, it's been worse than I thought. And, you know, I used to be a shutdown defense. It's kind of, 
it's not so great anymore. The Broncos need to pick things up, but their season's just about over. Honestly, if you want the uh, truth, but Jaguars still going strong. I said they'd go ten and six, make the playoffs, or two and two. So I, I gotta stick with the process here. But we're gonna move on now to the Bears beating the Vikings sixteen to six. For the Bears, I mean their defense stays dominant. Uh, they're really frustrating the Vikings offense, but the Bears offense. At least Matt Nagy, it seemed to work better with Chase Daniel than it did Mitchell Trubisky. Now, we all know when Mitchell Trubisky comes back, unless Jan- Jace- Chase Daniel plays like an MVP or at least a Pro Bowler, it's highly doubt you know doubtful he's going to stay in once Mitchell Trubisky is ready to come back. But it feels like Matt Nagy really opens up the playbook with Chase Daniel. Like, he has trust for Chase Daniel, but he doesn't really with Mitchell Trubisky like he's still trying to gain that trust I mean we've seen Trubisky he can't handle too much you know like too much basically on his plate like you got to kind of simplify things for him but with Chase Daniel not saying like Trubisky's not that great but he's better than Chase Daniel talent wise and yeah you're gonna play him he's the younger guy he's still learning but Chase Daniel can take a lot more on his plate and Matt Nagy kind of trusts him more and Nagy kind of showed what he can be as a coach and yes, they only scored 16 points, but that's a tough Vikings defense. You weren't really game planning to have Chase Daniel in there. And your offense isn't great anyway, but Matt Nagy kind of showed what he can do with the quarterback he trusts a little more. And then for the Vikings, oh, it is starting to get frustrating in Minnesota. They picked up that week one. You know, they started to get the, the ball rolling really early, and people started to have a lot of faith in them after week one. Dalvin Cook still ran really well, but that passing game needs to figure out. The defense has been good. The run game's been good, but they need to figure out passing the ball. Their game plan keeps getting exploited. Kirk Cousins has proved he can't handle the pressure. He's a soft quarterback. I said this coming into the offseason. I said the Vikings can be a Super Bowl team, but they don't have the quarterback to do it. It's that simple. I think they could just use – they need a hit on all cylinders, really. But Dillon and Diggs are really starting to get really frustrated like, very frustrated. Cousins needs to figure things out quick. I know it's only four weeks, but every game matters. Cousins needs to figure things out, gain the trust from his teammates, especially guys like Thielen and Diggs, and they need to get the ball rolling there because you can't just run the ball and hand it off to Dalvin Cook every single play and expect to win. They do face the Giants, though, next week, so hopefully that should be a good bounce-back game. Then we move on to the Seahawks beating the Cardinals 27-10. to when I look at the Seahawks, for both these teams, it's all about discipline in this matchup. The Seahawks didn't have a penalty in the first half. Chris Carson didn't fumble this whole game. That was their problem. Chris Carson kept fumbling. They kept committing penalties. They need to play disciplined football. And that's what the Seahawks did. For the Cardinals, though, they're not very uh, disciplined. They make just a ton of mistakes, whether it's bad throws, whether it's penalties, whether they're missing blocking assignments, missing matchup assignments uh, defensively, whether they're missing those blocking assignments too, just all that type of stuff that just stuff they have to clean up on their own. And it just shows poor paying attention because those are all those, that's what you put in the paying attention to detail type thing. Like how good is your coach at execute, you know, getting your players to execute and pay attention to detail? How much do you pay attention to that? Just little things like penalties. Again, you know, uh, assignments and kind of stuff like that and just drop passes, like just those easy fundamental things. Cliff Kingsbury clearly can't handle that. This team is horrible. They commit a ton of penalties. They're missing assignments. All of that. 
the dropping passes. This team needs to clean up a lot of those things. Kyler Murray said it'll be easy, but I'm not sure it's going to be as easy as he says because, one, they haven't cleaned it up, you know, throughout four weeks. You were talking about this week one. Yeah, we're going to clean it up. But, two, it seems like whenever they fix a problem, another one pops up. So, this Cardinals team, I mean, they're they're young, not really young teams outside of Kyler Murray, but – Christian Kirk, I guess you can make an argument for a few of those guys, but they need to uh, just continue to develop, clean up on these little things, and make things just a little easier for Kyler Murray. Then, moving over to the shootout of the week, Buccaneers winning on the road versus the Los Angeles Rams 55-40. to What a game this was. The Buccaneers' offense has an incredible game. They score 55 points on the road against Sean McVay in the Los Angeles Rams defense. That is impressive. I mean, when you look at it, Jameis Winston had a great game. Chris Godwin was incredible. Like, everyone on that offense had a tremendous day. Really, a field day. And defensively, the Buccaneers need to clean things up because you can't allow 40 points and expect to make the playoffs or at least play up to your standards you know, seven, eight wins potentially, you know, six to eight wins when I look at this Buccaneers team. The Buccaneers have a lot of potential. If they won that game against the Giants, that would have been huge. But that was Bruce Aaron's goal. Let's finish this game. We have to finish because they didn't finish. They blew that, what, an 18-point lead against the Giants at home. So they need to finish. They did. They finished. They win by 15 on the road. It was just they, they executed really well offensively, but their defense really needs to step up. For the Rams, I mean, they're starting to kind of learn things. They're 3-1 and one now. They need to get off to better starts. They got off to a better start in that game, they may win. I know 40 points is a lot, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go sit there and critique an offense after they score 40 points, but I will. They got off to a pretty slow start, and then they just scored every drive after that, but that's kind of, they don't score every drive in the second half, but that's how it works. This Rams offense starts to get the ball rolling in the second half. You need to come in there and jump on it right out of the gate. You're going to start losing football games just like this one. Those losses are going to start piling up against you. I know in the first three weeks, you got away with getting off to that slow start. This is not going to happen every time. These losses are going to start piling up because your offense couldn't get off to a good start. Now, when I look at it, I'm not saying I'm blaming the offense. When you load up 55 points and score 40, the defense is the one to blame. But this offense needs to get off to a better start. They need to start really executing earlier. That early in the game. Then the Giants beating the Redskins 24 to 3. Uh the Giants look like a genius. Uh Dwayne Haskins was horrible in this game. He had three interceptions. Daniel Jones was solid. Daniel Jones was not even that great in this game. He was solid. Wasn't as good as he was in the box week one. The hype slowed down a little, but for the Giants, they look like geniuses. Dwayne Haskins, if you were to take a quarterback a reason, said, yeah, easy, Dwayne Haskins. No one said Daniel Jones. And they went out, took Daniel Jones. Everyone hated it. So far, it looks like, they look like geniuses. Dave Gettleman, Gettleman, however you say it, looks like a genius. For the Redskins, it's either start Case Keenum, who has been pretty bad, ineffective, whatever you want to say. Either start Dwayne Haskins, who clearly isn't ready, and I've been saying that, but the people refuse to listen, or Colt McCoy and his leg. I think it's time for them to sign a fourth quarterback. 
just do it. I mean, Case Keenum clearly isn't getting the job done. Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. Colt McCoy probably isn't returned from his injury yet. Pick up a quarterback on a cheap deal, a veteran quarterback on a cheap deal, and just try to win a football game, man. That's all. That's what you got to do. And I know they're facing New England next week. I get it. But you can't start Dwayne Haskins next week. If you want to roll back out with Keenum, you do you. But if you're sitting there saying, no, we can't start Case Keenum. We can't just hand it. That's just not how it works. Well, I'm not throwing Dwayne Haskins in there. Not even against the Giants. Never mind the Patriots. He's not ready. And Colt McCoy isn't ready. Pick up a fourth quarterback. A cheap deal. Sure, a cheap deal. Pick him up on a cheap deal. And I don't expect you to beat the Patriots. But just get that veteran quarterback in there that can kind of pressure these guys a little bit and win you a football game. I mean, at least by week six. I mean, week six, week seven. Like, this Redskins team, in those first two weeks or so, they, what, they faced the Cowboys and the Eagles, and they played two solid games. Like, they could have beat the Eagles, probably not the Cowboys, but they still played okay. But then, you know, they faced the Bears, get blown out, you know, and then the same tale was told this week. They didn't get blown out, but they didn't look good either. The offense really needs to get rolling. The defense has been ass so far. Then, moving on to the Chargers versus the Dolphins. 30-10 to win for the Chargers. Not much to say here. Uh, I mean, I can still see they're not really clicking on all cylinders, and I'm still not a believer in the Chargers. Uh, not a huge believer in the Chargers. I think they're solid, but again... I'm just not sure, but I do will still love Austin Eckler. Like I just, I, I just love how I called this. Like I called that he was the sleeper of the year, and then he goes out and breaks out. But with Melvin Gordon coming back, what's going to happen for the Chargers? For me, I split their downs. Like, yeah, they still have Justin Jackson too. If you still want to give him a handoff or two here and there, but like Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon should be splitting handoffs. You know, ease Melvin Gordon back in. Eckler clearly is a beast. I mean, that's a guy that could be... Uh, both of them are effective out of the uh, backfield, but just split split the load out of, you know, maybe you give, you know, Melvin Gordon 57% of the snaps, Austin Eckler 43% of the snaps, and obviously maybe, you know, a little bit of those Justin Jackson, you know, just around those numbers. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, as much as I like Eckler, you're probably going to play Melvin Gordon a little more, but you know, he's an injury-prone guy. Just keep him healthy. Kind of load manage him because you can. You have Justin Jackson. That's a great third uh, third string running back. And your second string running back, Austin Eckler, is a beast. So they're in a good spot. For the Dolphins, they're, ne- they're just not going to win a game. I mean, Josh Rosen actually played pretty good in the first half, but this team has been horrible in the second halves. They haven't even been that good in the first halves either, but they've been better in the first half, and then they just kind of give up. Remember, oh, we're tanking, tanking. Go into the locker room, Brian Flores is like, come on, guys. We're only losing by 10? Come on. You know what we're doing here? We're tanking. So, I mean, I've been impressed with Josh Rosen just because this is a guy who was pressured into his first situation in Arizona, didn't do well. Then he comes to Miami. Like, he is on a team with no protection, no weapons, no motivation, a bad bad coaching staff. No, he has no help whatsoever, and he's still a developing young quarterback that needs that help, and he still played pretty well. So I'm proud of him for that. I'm proud of you, Josh. I really am. And then uh, moving on, the Raiders beating the Colts. This one hurts. This was a Colts team that was nearly 3-0 in the first three weeks. They were 2-1, but they nearly beat the Chargers. And that was a pretty tough schedule they had in those first three weeks. And then you lose to the Raiders. 
that has to make you just kind of pull your hair out a little bit, especially defensively, because defensively they were good in those first two two to three weeks. I mean, last week three they only had one sack. They weren't great, but they were a little dinged up. But this week, I mean, this is two bad weeks in a row, really, and their defense got off to a solid start. We saw that improvement, and then they kind of come back down to earth. I'm not saying they were at, playing out of their minds. I'm just saying they are playing a little over expectations. Now they're kind of back. But the Raiders, I mean, they found their – they were starting to hit on all those cylinders. They got things, They got the ball rolling early. Uh, they were running the ball well. Overall, they clicked, but I'm still not a believer in the Raiders despite being 2-2, two and two, which is weird to say because they stole that week one game against the Broncos. They didn't even play that good, but the Broncos were horrible. And then they've lost the last two weeks. But it's weird to say that they're 2-2. Two and two. The Raiders – no, no. Still don't believe in them, though. I, I don't. I mean, they'll, they'll win five, six games at max. Then I move on to the Panthers beating the Texans. This is killer. I thought the Texans were going to go 13-3 at the beginning of the year, and Watson was going to win MVP, which I wasn't too confident in. But this Texans offense hasn't looked great so far, and they're 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Kyle Allen looks kind of for real. I mean, he's passing. It seems like they have more of a reliable passing game now with Kyle Allen rather than Cam Newton, which makes sense. I think Newton's really losing his touch. I'm not getting on the Kyle Allen hype train here, uh, but he's looked he's look solid, decent enough to kind of hold up the fort. But Carolina, I mean, their defense has looked really, really good. Ron Rivera, I mean, he, excuse me, he looks really good. He switched that 3-4 defense to a 4-3 defense. Uh, he added a lot of speed, especially at outside linebacker, for example, Brian Burns, and it's paid off. This team is getting a ton of sacks. That's 14 sacks in the past two weeks. They're pressuring Deshaun Watson, and Watson is kind of a guy who's been used to the pressure, but he's still, uh, like anyone, he does better without the pressure. And they really, they got to him, and it was definitely effective. But Laramie Tunsil in that offensive line kind of has to step up because let up six sacks. I mean, this is offensive line that had some expectations after getting Laramie Tunsil. They need to step up. The Texans need to step up. Texans will face Atlanta next week. They've got to start winning because the Texans team that has a lot of expectations by many, especially me. They need to get the ball rolling here. Then the Browns beating the Ravens 40 to 25. I want to mostly focus on the Browns offense here. Baker Mayfield looks solid. It was his best game of the year so far. Nick Chubb was a beast. He ran for over 150 yards. What was it? 155 yards in three touchdowns. Nick Chubb was a beast. The Ravens were missing their defensive starting defensive tackle, and the Browns took advantage. They ran it up the gut so many times. Earl Thomas starts screaming, you know, yelling at his teammates. It caused friction, too. And that's important because for the Browns, this is a team that got off to a slow one and two start. Now, all of a sudden, they get things rolling offensively against a statistically, historically, and currently very good defense. Divisional rival as well. So for the Browns, this was important. And although OBJ didn't play well, that's fine. It just all that proves is that this Brown team has a deep offense. OBJ just spread the field out uh, for guys like Jarvis Landry, who had a big day, uh, and Nick Chubb. Even it opened up the run game. And although OBJ didn't have a great game, they, that just shows how deep an of an offense they have. You've got Baker Mayfield at quarterback. You've got a solid offensive line. You've got Nick Chubb at running back, and then Kareem Hunt when he comes back. 
You've got a good staff there. Jarvis Landry, OBJ, David Njoku, they've got options on offense. So OBJ having a bad game doesn't necessarily mean the offense did bad. They just have a ton of weapons. If one guy, they don't need to use all their weapons. That's the beautiful thing. A lot of these offense offenses, if one guy doesn't have a good day, that offense is really struggling. And usually a name like OBJ, if he struggles, that's not a good sign. But for this offense, I wouldn't say it's a good sign, but it's just it didn't hurt him. I mean, it just it spread out the options just shows how deep this Browns offense is. Baker Mayfield needs to keep this going, too. The Ravens, though, this was a big loss. I mean, this is now back-to-back losses against two solid teams. I get that, but this was, te- you know, the Ravens got off to a pretty good start. And now they're kind of losing it. Lamar Jackson losing that touch a little bit. They need a win next week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That would be a big divisional win. You get back to 3-2, and two, get some of that momentum back. The Ravens can win this division, but they need to get back in the W column. Then I move on to the Titans beating the Falcons 24-10. Marcus Mariota, is it time to move on? <laughs> Yes, it still is, okay? They scored 24 points against the Atlanta Falcons. But with that being said, they kept Marcus Mariota very clean, and the offense seemed to be hitting. It it seemed to be – it was really clicking. It was. But the Atlanta Falcons need to play with more energy. They really need to start to click and execute. They're not executing offensively or defensively. Tough Titans defense, sure, but that Falcons offense needs to score more than 10 points. And their defense – was okay. 24 points ain't bad. That's not a great Titans defense. I want to see them turn, you know, force a few more turnovers. Overall, that team needs just needs to play with more energy. They need to execute. But for the Titans, they kind of keep things going, right? They kind of, you know, that's a mediocre team that just keeps hanging in there. But the Falcons, I have high expectations for them. They need a win next week against Houston. That's a big game for them and Houston. Then Patriots versus Bills. I'm a Patriots fan. What did I feel about this one? Well, I predicted a rock fight. I did. I predicted the Patriots would win 24 to 10. So I was basically a touchdown away. I mean, if Koskowski makes that extra point, but I was pretty on. But the Patriots always, I mean, Tom Brady always struggles against this Bills defense. Sean McDermott always seems to know how to slow him down. This Bills defense is for real. I've heard a lot of Patriots fans just figuring this out now, like expecting the Patriots to score 30 plus points against this Bills defense. Are you foolish? Did you not just realize? Like, did we watch the Monday Night Football game last year? Uh, but this Patriots defense is clearly the better side of the ball. I'm not saying their offense is bad. It's just it hasn't really clicked yet. They've been okay, but it ha- still hasn't clicked. They need to figure that out. But their defense has been great. I mean, they still haven't really faced a real opponent. Like, Devin McCourty has four picks in four games, one for each game. I mean, they've all been easy interceptions. Like, the quarterback might as well just go up and hand the ball to him. And, yes, they've got a lot of sacks, which is unusual for the Patriots because Patriots are usually a team that just generates a lot of pressure, doesn't really get sacks. But that's due to the coverage. The coverage has been off the charts by the Patriots secondary, and that's given their pass rush more time to get to the quarterback. And I think – the pass rush has been good. The front seven's been great and all, but the secondary really plays a big part in that. And the Patriots, I mean, Tom Brady, that pay, that Patriots offense is going to click. I mean, that's a tough Buffalo defense, uh, you know, in Buffalo. I'm not worried about it. It usually takes them a few weeks to click anyway, but the defense is clearly the better side of the ball. 
Uh, but for the Bills, their defense is for real, but how far can the defense take them? Josh Allen, I mean, this guy just made some bad mistakes. He needs to just check down more. I mean, I tell a lot of quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, just name a few. Just, you got to check down less and take some shots downfield. Josh Allen, the complete opposite. This guy is just a loose cannon. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm, but he is just a loose cannon. He makes a ton of bad decisions. Just check down sometimes. Use the short pass. Instead, he just chucks it downfield. Like that, geez. The Patriots, though, contained him in the pocket, made him be a pocket passer because this guy's kind of a dual threat, mostly a threat with his legs. So if you keep him from scrambling a lot and contain him in the pocket, you're going to be successful. But this one was a defensive fight. It was a rock fight. But overall, it's a good game. It was good for the Patriots to finally get a real test because these first three weeks have been so easy. It's good to see them really get that first real game to kind of wake this team up. And so on, though. Then the Chiefs... Edge one out against the Lions, 34 to 30. 34 to 30. But anyway, for the Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes wasn't incredible this game. Like, he wasn't incredible. Patrick Mahomes, he's still very good. The offense still put up 34 points against the Lions. He's been, it's actually been solid this year. But for the Lions, is it start, is it start to really, is it time to really start taking this team really seriously? I mean, they tied the first week. They've won the past two weeks. I mean, they're 2-1-1, one, one, yes. But their schedule has been the Cardinals, which they tied. Then they beat the Chargers. Then they beat... Okay, this is the one I'm forgetting. Uh, Okay, I'm, I forget. But then they... Oh, why? Why? All right, I'm just looking up the line schedule right now. All right. Well, they face the Packers this Monday night, which will be a good test. They beat the Eagles. So they've had a tough schedule so far and have gone 2-1-1. Two, two, one one. If they won this game, that would have been huge. It's definitely time to start taking the Lions at least somewhat seriously despite this loss. But I, I, need, I would like to see them potentially beat the Packers on Monday Night Football because if they lose, now all of a sudden that season's starting to slip away. right? But the, the Lions, I'm not saying they will go to the playoffs, but they, they, they're making a good run at it. Then we got the Saints and Cowboys. I'm going to start with the Saints winning this one 12-10, a defensive fight here. The Saints just proved they are a deep team. Now, Teddy Bridgewater, yeah, when you go out and pay Teddy Bridgewater $7 million, it shows you care about depth. This is a guy, Drew Brees, never misses games, rarely, right? Teddy Bridgewater is a solid backup quarterback in all, but he needs to give more of a spark He's just been check down Teddy. That's what I'm going to call him, check down Teddy. I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot. I respect him because this is a guy who had a lot of talent. Minnesota suffers a horrific injury, and now that's kind of lost. He's kind of lost his touch, unfortunately. But he still saw a backup, but he's just checked down Teddy out there. Oh, he checked down, checked down, checked down. Oh, my goodness. Like, you know, like Mason Rudolph with the check downs, too. Like, Teddy Bridgewater was just check down Teddy. That's what I'm going to call him, check down Teddy. That was all. That was all it was. But the you know Saints defense really won them that game. He had solid weapons to help him out. He's got a solid coach to help him out. Drew, under Drew Reese's wing, the Saints didn't win with offense. Didn't win, and I, no, not didn't. Not that they didn't win. They won. But I like that it shows that this team isn't just Drew Brees, right? Because a lot of these teams now, it's just like quarterback or nothing. Like it doesn't matter about the coach, the rest of the team. If you you if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. They just beat the Cowboys in Sunday Night Football with Teddy checked down Bridgewater. So, 
I'm just saying that that kind of proves. I think that was big for the NFL to kind of show that it's not all about the quarterback all the time. And then for the Cowboys, I mean, their defense probably the best game of the year, despite facing checkdown Teddy. But their offense really struggled. I mean, they just couldn't figure it out all game. Their defense, uh, the Saints' defense, really shut them down. The Cowboys got off to a good start for these first three weeks, but they're finally face a real test now. Next week they're going to be up. Uh, well, next week they're on the bye. Are they? Are they on the bye? No, the Lions are on the bye. That's right. Because I have Kenny Galladay and Carry On Johnson on my fantasy team. I made a few trades. Yep. For those of you who remember when I shared my fantasy team, I made a few trades. Uh, mostly set me up for next year. But my fantasy team's two and two right now. But I've allowed the second most points in the league, which explains like uh, why I scored 140 points week one and still lost. Uh, but that's besides the point. I just kind of set myself up for the future there. But that's right. The Lions are on a bye week next week. Should have known because I just checked my fantasy roster today and it said they were both on the bye. But Dallas facing Green Bay next week. Uh, that's a big game for both of them and Green Bay bouncing back from uh, close losses. Then to wrap up today's episode, Steelers versus Bengals. Monday night football. Steelers get a big win. I mean, this team's 0-3. Uh, both these teams were 0-3. But if they want a shot at the playoffs... They had to win this game. The Steelers went out there and dominated. Their defense was very good. They generated a ton of pressure. And offensively, Mason Rudolph checked out. You know, we talk about check down Teddy. I'm going to call him check down Mason. Those two. Check down Teddy and check down Mason. Those two come in a package. Oh, my goodness. The check downs that they did. James Conner and Jalen Samuels weren't even running backs. They were check down backs. That's what it was. Oh my goodness, the amount of checkdowns. He took a few shots downfield. Uh, he had that one to Deontay Johnson. He had the, it was like 40, 42, 43 yard touchdown pass there. But, I mean, yeah, he took a few shots downfield and it kind of opened things up. But that guy, you know, check down Teddy. What about check down Mason? Oh my goodness. It was just check down, check down, check down, but it was an efficient game plan. But when I look at the Steelers, you can't win that way all the time. Like, yes, that's nice. You're easing Mason Rudolph in. You needed to win. Like today, it, I don't care what it takes. Yes, this game plan may not work for the rest of the year, but if it's going to work and get you a win now, do it. So that's what they did. They said, yes, we can't do this every week. But we need a win right now, so we're just going to do checkdowns. If they do that every week, you can't win doing checkdowns every single week. But for this week, it worked because we're facing the Bengals. But for the weeks prior, they need it. You know, Mason Rudolph's going to have to ease into a tougher role, making tougher throws. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a good game. No, I could do that. I could go out and throw a three-yard pass to James Conner. You know, I can do that too. But the Bengals, their season's over. It is. It's all in four. It was over from the start, really. I mean, this was just a bad team, but it's just—I don't know. I don't know. Just the Bengals—they're just ugly. They're just no good. They need to—I don't know—fill in a lot of holes. Their offensive line. Ooh, I know they got Jonah Williams, but he's hurt right now. I don't know. Maybe it's time to replace Andy Dalton. The receiving core is not bad. AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross. And Joe Mixon, I still think you got to stick it out with him. But quarterbacks, you know, maybe you get that nice guy there. Potentially tight end. I wouldn't say that's your biggest position you need because all your wide receivers, offensive line, keep adding there. Defense, there's a ton of needs there. So the Bengals have a lot of things that they need to address. Zach Taylor uh, needs to really get to those guys and just uh, pick up a win. Kind of like the Redskins. Just pick up a win. 
And I know your team's not going to go too far, but you just need to pick up that win to gain a little confidence in yourself, in your system, in your product, and what you're preaching to these fans and your players, to just so that you, you gain confidence with them too. So in the NBA, media days kind of popped up. You know, we heard it with the Lakers and the Nets were kind of the two bigger ones. And there were some things we can take away. But the one big one was the Kyrie Irving one because I felt like I really learned something from it. Yeah, you, you can get little tidbits from this and that. Like Anthony Davis says he wants to focus on this year and he doesn't want to commit to anything long term. Oh, great. But this is a big thing. I just feel like a lot of you are Celtics fans. And this was just big. To me, I think it told a lot. And I don't know if I believe it, how much I believe it. But I want to let you guys listen. It's about a minute 42, uh, a minute and 42 seconds. So uh, let's take a listen. It's just got really, really rocky for me in terms of when I left for, I believe, you know, after the Phoenix game, I went to my grandfather's memorial and he passed on October 23rd. And after he passed, basketball was the last thing on my mind. So a lot of basketball and the joy I had from it was sucked away from me. And there was a facial expression that I carried around with me throughout the year didn't allow anyone to get close to me in that instance. And it really bothered me. And um, I didn't take, uh, you know, the necessary steps to get counseling or get therapy or anything to. Okay. So we're going to stop there. I'll, I'll resume, but we'll take this little, little pieces. Kyrie Irving kind of talks about how his grandfather passes away and he kind of wore this facial expression. Now, if you watch the Celtics and really, you took a look, even if you're just a good NBA fan and you watch some of these press conferences and just kind of watch him, he did not look happy, right? And he did go up and say, I want to resign. He was happy, happy-go-lucky. And then beginning of the season, his grandfather passes away and things just kind of went down from there. Like right beginning of the season, they got off to a bit of a slow start and things just never really got better. They got worse from there. So I you know, you'd think when someone passed away, it would be like it hurts and then things start to get a little better. It felt like it got worse with Kyrie. And I wouldn't even say it was that. I think at, it was just a point where he didn't open up about it and his teammates start to realize, all right, maybe he's just having a bad day or a bad week, but it continued to go all through the season and it started to really affect his teammates. I think that's why it got worse. He didn't open up. And he just, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. Because if you haven't heard the interview, we'll just keep going. Uh, I, I just, there's some things I don't want to spoil because I've already heard this. But let's uh, continue. Deal with someone that close to me dying. I've never dealt with anything like that. So for me, I responded in ways that are uncharacteristic. And like I said, I had to acknowledge that fact. And I had to acknowledge that fact to the organization first. Because that was our internal bond and trust that we had. I talked to Danny. I wanted to resign. So throughout the year, it started becoming more and more clear that my relationships within my home life have way higher precedent than the organization or anyone. And I barely got a chance to talk to my grandfather before he passed from playing basketball. So you tell me if you would want to go to work every single day, knowing that you just lost somebody close to you doing a job every single day that everyone from the outside or anyone internally is protecting you for. Like, hey, just keep being a basketball player. So throughout that year, it just became rocky. And a lot of the battles that I thought I could battle through in the team environment, I just wasn't ready for. And I failed those guys in a sense that I didn't give them everything that I could have during that season, especially with the amount of pieces that we had. So my relationships with them personally were great. 
but in terms of me being a leader in that environment and bringing everyone together, I failed. So that's Kyrie Irving, and I feel like that's a very important telling minute and 42 seconds. It tells me a lot, but I'm not sure how much I can believe of it, right? I, I feel like I understand where he's coming from. I definitely think this played a factor. I think Kyrie clearly wanted to be here. Year one went great. He opens up and he says, I want to resign. He talks to Danny. I want to resign. And then this happens right at the beginning of the season. That Phoenix season, uh, game was early in the season. What did he say? Like October 23rd? So like late October. I mean, that's the first few weeks of the season. They didn't get off to a great start, but Kyrie's not sitting there like, oh, we've got off to an eh start for the first 10 games. I'm going to mope about it. No, I don't think I don't think that's what it was. But Kyrie, you know, I think he, he should have opened up about it. But again, that's it's tough. And I understand where he's coming from. But again, I'm just not hard. Sure. It's just an excuse in a way. And I, I hate to say that. I don't want to sound like that guy. But I don't know if I can believe it 100%. I think there were other things that played a factor. I do think, you know, there were some relationships just that weren't meant to be in that locker room. Maybe him and Terry Rozier, him and Jalen Brown just weren't great fits from day one, maybe. And then they started to kind of unravel. But I think a lot of it was Kyrie Irving didn't open up. He put on this sour face. He had this sour mood every single day. And teammates got frustrated with them, especially considering this guy was supposed to be the leader. This is supposed to be the guy that, you know, he, he, the franchise is in his hands some, you know, to an extent, he, the most of the franchise is in, hand, in his hands. So you, know, you see Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge saying, yes, it's Kyrie's team. So all these guys, first of all, I think a big issue was, again, I've said it, the size nine shoot, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, they grew into a size 9 shoe in the playoffs. They played really well. They went to the size 9 shoe, and then when Kyrie came back, they were asked to go back into a size 7, and it just didn't fit, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Kind of had to make that transition backwards when they're young players trying to go forwards. I think that played a factor. But I think also it was the fact that they were asked to look up and play alongside, like be like, look up to this guy. He's the leader. This is his team. You have to play alongside him. And they had to play alongside this guy who was just depressed, had this sour face, didn't talk to anyone. And they didn't want to do that. Right. They were just like, no, I don't want to do this. You know, I, I don't like this. This is not, and it just wasn't team basketball. And it was just, it was just bad. It led to bad chemistry, led to locker room issues. So I do think this could be the reason. I do, but I think Kyrie could have done a little more to open up. I think he could have done a little more to help the situation. And yeah, if you know, you know, for the first few weeks, if you're not in a very good mood, I think they understood that at first. They're like, yeah, yeah, we understand. But as the season kind of went on, they're like, come on. Like, I know it's it's a hard loss and all, and you know, you may never be the same in a way. But you've you got to open up. You got to you can't just hate us forever, kind of in a sense like that. And for Kyrie to say he failed them, he's a hundred percent true. And I hate to say that because if this was true, it was his grandfather's death that affected this. I hate to kind of blame him. And and if you get what I'm trying to say, but he did fail them. He was supposed to be the leader of this team. He was supposed to be. 
I mean, I want to say it, but the franchise of the team, you know, I know Jason Tatum's got a lot of potential, Jalen Brown, a lot of these guys, but Kyrie was the franchise. He let them down. They had big expectations, like NBA Finals expectations. The logic was this young team made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. These young players get a little better next year, plus Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, easy NBA Finals. That was logic. Didn't work that way. It's not. It's some things on paper. On paper, it looks it looks doable. It looks easy, but things are easier said than done, especially in the NBA. And I think Kyrie is making. I don't want to say he's making an excuse, but I think he's making a, a little bit of an excuse because why wouldn't he say this in the middle of the season? Was he j- again? Maybe you just didn't want to open up about it and just said, you know, it'll just. I just don't want to talk about it. Maybe that was it. Maybe. But then again, why is he just talking about it now? Why all of a sudden, coincidentally, oh, now I'm not on the Celtics. Now it's time for me to talk about this. It just seems a little too... I don't want to... I think I'm going to say it. A little too coincidental, right? It seems like, oh, what a coincidence. As soon as you leave Boston, a month later, you open up about it. Like, I, I don't know. It seems a little sketchy. But at the same time, I think we have to take away, I do think this played a factor. It's a tough one to read because I have so many mixed emotions. But again, Anchor Mobile app, you can call in. What are your thoughts on this interview? How how much do you take away? How much do you believe in what Kyrie Irving said? What do you take away from it? Uh, Again, feel free to call in on the Anchor Mobile app. Please, I have not had a caller in a while. wish Billy would come back, but... I don't know. We, we need a new Billy. Uh, but anyway, now I'm going to get to my MLB predictions slash uh, looking back at my regular season predictions. I think first I'm going to take a look at my MLB regular season predictions that I made before the season. And then I'm going to get to my MLB playoff predictions. So, yes. First, I'm going to get – first, we will get – forget it. We're just going to get to my preseason, regular season MLB predictions, so let's get to that. Okay, so you probably don't remember. Some of you may have not even listened to my podcast back whenever I even made these, which was probably in April. Some of you may have listened, but maybe skipped this episode, the episode that I did it, or you listen, you just forget. Anyway, I'm going to share my predictions. First, starting with the ALE side, the Boston Red Sox in first place. The Yankees in second place, grabbing a wild card spot. The Rays in third. The Blue Jays in fourth. The Orioles in fifth. I remember me saying, though, between the Yankees and Red Sox winning the division, take your pick. Whoever comes in second will make the wild card, though. I was wrong. I, I was wrong. I was wrong there. But I look at the I look at the Red Sox, and it, I I knew they wouldn't do as good, but. I felt like, yeah, you lost Craig Kimbrell, that'll hurt. I feel like it's going to be hard to repeat that type of season, but I think you'll edge it out against the Yankees. Both of you will have incredible seasons, though. I was wrong. The Red Sox, overall, like on paper, a lot of teams would be like 83 and 78 isn't horrible. But for this Red Sox team, it was very, very bad, especially considering last season, considering the expectations. The Yankees won the division pretty, pretty easily. But again, take your pick between the two. I remember saying that. And I had the Yankees grabbing the first wild card spot. And then I had the Rays in third. They ended up grabbing a wild card spot. The Rays, I thought, would be, yeah, you're a solid team, but you're in a tough division. They don't make it. They ended up making it. 
96 wins, 65 losses. Uh, they ended up finishing with, I thought they'd be around an 80-win team. Maybe squeak in with 90 wins, maybe. But that, that, was, that was pretty much it. Ceiling for them, for me, was like 90 to 91 wins. I thought they'd be in the 80s. I, did. I thought they'd be a solid team, but they were in just a tough division, and they just don't make the playoffs. And then the Blue Jays and Orioles, I got that right, Thir- fourth and fifth. I think we all kind of predicted that the top three teams would be Red Sox, Rays, Yankees, and then Blue Jays, fourth, Orioles, fifth. Then move over to the AL Central. My prediction's not so great here. I, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's horrible, but it, it wasn't great, right? It wasn't. It's not great. I predicted the Indians would come in first place, and then we would have no other. We would have no wild card here. The Indians would come in first, and the White Sox would come in second. Twins would come in third. Royals would come in fourth. Tigers come in fifth. The one thing I did do well was Royals over Tigers. I mean, we predicted these would be like the two worst teams in baseball or, you know, bottom three teams in baseball. So it was like, who's going to be worse? I thought the Tigers. And I was right on that. But other than that, I mean, the Indians were just disappointing this year. They ended up coming back to get 93 wins. Jose Ramirez comes back from that injury, starts to find his rhythm. Overall, the Indians made a good comeback, but it wasn't it wasn't good enough. They fell a few games short. If Jose Ramirez, you know, plays like he he you know did at the end of the season, the whole season, like he should have, they probably make the playoffs. But he didn't. The Twins came out of nowhere and won 101 games. No one saw that coming. If you did, you are a genius. That was the surprise team of the year, the Minnesota Twins. I had them third, uh, sec- third, and I was debating between the White Sox and Twins in second. I chose the White Sox, who came in third with 71 wins. Yeah, yeah, not so great. So I totally messed up on the Twins. I underestimated them. I saw them coming second, second to third place, and I picked the Indians. The Indians didn't make the playoffs. I wouldn't say the Indians had a horrible year. They came back as the season uh, came to a close, but it wasn't good enough. I didn't do so good here. Then we move over to the AL West. I picked the Astros to come in first, Athletics to come in second, Angels to come in third, Mariners to come in fourth, Rangers to come in fifth. I had it for the first two. And I picked the Athletics to go to the wild card. A very good prediction there. The Astros were easy. 106 wins. Everyone picked the Astros to win that division. If you didn't, you're stupid. I guess is what you could say. Unless you just really bold, really, really bold. Second, I picked the Athletics. No one picked the Athletics to go to the playoffs. I mean, I wouldn't say no one. Not a lot of people did. I did. I thought they'd tweak in and get the last wild card spot. I did. I just didn't see a ton of competition. I said, yeah, the Rays, but they're in a tough division. I don't. I think that'll that'll hurt them. I'll go with the Athletics here. And not a lot of people picked the Athletics, but I did, which I'm pretty proud of. But they had a solid team. I don't think no one picked them, but I just don't think a lot of people did. Then in third place, I had the Angels. They ended up going 72 and 89. I thought they'd finish. I thought they'd finish a little better. After uh, Tyler Skaggs passed away, I thought that would put a chip on their shoulder and give them somewhat of a shot for at least third place, but it didn't. The Rangers ended up coming in uh, third instead of last. I predicted they'd come in last. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was that was stupid. Yeah, they ended up getting 77 wins. They, they they weren't great. The Rangers weren't great. But they were 
much better than last place, considering the Mariners were last place with 67 wins, and I predicted they'd be in fourth. So I wouldn't say mess this up horribly. I think if you get the playoff teams, that's the most important part. Picking the winner of the division, picking the wild card from that division if there is one. Yeah, if you screw up fourth and fifth place, it's whatever. It's not whatever. I, I want to nail as many predictions as I can, but the most important is getting the winner in the potential wild, like the second place wild card. You got, with, you got my point. So that is my, my American League predictions. Eh, I kind of screwed up the AL Central. Wasn't so hot in the AL East. I think I did pretty good in the AL West, just besides the bottom three teams. Not not great there, but not horrendous either. Then in the NL East, I had the Phillies winning their division. Oh, okay. Uh, I remember this was the powerhouse division coming into the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I like the NL Central, too, but the NL East was super... Like, the Marlins were horrible, but you had four contending teams right there. I picked the Phillies to come in first. Out of the top... You know, there are four teams in this. It was the Braves, Nationals, Mets, and Phillies. I chose the Phillies to come in first. They were fourth out of these four teams. Bad prediction by Aiden. And in second place, I had the Braves. They ended up coming in first with 97 wins. The Braves were were either one and one or two. They're a good regular season team, all right? They were either one, uh, first place or second place on many people's predictions. I chose them to be second. They ended up coming in first. And I think I gave them a wild card spot here as well. Uh, did I? Let me see. It's, let me, I need to check. Wild card. Uh, where's NL wild card? Jeez. Did I even do that? Did I put that? Th- yeah, I did. Brewers and Braves. Yeah, I gave the Braves a wild card spot. So at least I gave them a playoff spot. But still, still, the Braves won that division, not handily, because the Nationals came in second. I predicted the Nationals would come in third. Okay, so second, third. The Phillies really killed me here. And then the Mets in fourth. The Mets heated up uh, towards the end of the season. Right after the trade deadline, they started to heat things up. Pete Alonso was great this year. Jeff McNeil was great. They got Marcus Stroman. They really pick things up, and they start to contend towards the end of the year. 85 wins isn't bad, especially if you told me 85 wins for this team pre-trade deadline, I would have laughed. And then Phillies, 81 wins. So the Phillies were over 500, but they were in fourth place. The Phillies didn't have a horrendous year, but they were disappointing, especially for my predictions. The Marlins in fifth. Everyone predicted the Marlins would be in fifth. So I had the Phillies winning this division, Braves taking a wild card spot. Then the NL Central my proudest prediction, the Cardinals would win this division. They won by one game, but they won the division. 90 wins. I picked the Cardinals to win this division. Everyone picked the Cubs, the Brewers, and they said, yeah, maybe the Cardinals can get a wild card spot. I went I went hard, and I picked the Cardinals to win this division. My proudest prediction, definitely. Then I had the Brewers grabbing the wild card spot. I nailed this. I nailed this division. Literally on the head, I picked the Cardinals to win the division, Brewers to grab the wild card, Cubs come in third, Reds come in fourth, Pirates come in fifth. I nailed the NL Central. On the head, I nailed it. I'm proud of myself. Moving on to the NL West. I picked the Dodgers to win the division, the Rockies to come in second, Diamondbacks to come in third, Padres to come in fourth, Giants to come in fifth. Not my proudest. 
I picked the Diamondbacks to come in third. Uh, Dodgers were easy uh, first place, but I picked the Diamondbacks to come in third. They came in second with 84 wins. I picked the Giants to come in fifth. Excuse me. I, I picked the Padres to come in fourth. They came in fifth. I picked the Giants to come in fifth. They came in third. So the NL West was a little ugly after the Dodgers. because The reason this is ugly is because, yes, I picked the winner, but everyone picked the Dodgers. It was about, can you pick that second-place team? Can you pick that third-place team? And I couldn't. I couldn't. I was surprised the Rockies. The Rockies' 70 wins, I thought they'd be at least a little better. But I didn't see a wildcard team coming out of this. Uh, Because you look at it, the NL East and the NL Central were two really good divisions. Like, coming into the year, the AL East... The NL East and the NL Central were the top three divisions. By far in the NL, the NL West was the worst division. You didn't get a wild... No one picked a wild card to come out of the NL uh, Central. I mean the NL West. It was the Dodgers are going to win, and then after that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's That's how people looked at this. So my predictions, ups and downs, nailed the NL Central. Other ones, I didn't nail anything else. But the NL Central, that's a tough one to pick, too. That was one of the harder ones. So I'm proud of myself for that. But there are things I'm going to need to clean up. Uh, And then I have my playoff predictions. But I think I'm going to save that. So when the playoffs finish, I'll go over over the playoffs, obviously, and whatnot. But then I'll get to my pre-MLB season playoff predictions and my uh, playoff predictions that are coming up now. I'm going to get to my... Updated playoff predictions. So basically, because my, uh, what do you call it, pre-regular season predictions are inaccurate. Like, the Red Sox didn't end up making the playoffs. So I'm just going to, like, update them. So we are going to get that to that now. All right, so I know I'm cutting it a little close here. It's Tuesday night, and the wild card starts tonight. But with that being said, I still want to get my predictions out there because... Even if you're listening Wednesday, you've still got the whole playoffs ahead of you. You can hear whether or not I got this prediction for this Tuesday night game right wild card. Uh, this wild card game between the... Whoa. Slow down there, Hayden. This wild card game between the Nationals and the Brewers. <sighs> These were tough to make, okay? They were, they were actually... Like, whenever I try to make these predictions, they're hard to make because you've got to pick a winner. And I picked a winner that no one else is picking. For a reason, I'm, I'll am i say uh, when I get to the end of this. But first, I'm going to start in the AL. So I'm going to go through the AL all the way to the ALCS. And I'm going to go to the – so I'll start with the AL wildcard. They'll do ALDS, ALCS, and I'll go NL, NL wildcard, NLDS, NLCS, and I'll go to my World Series pick. So just start. To start, this will be Wednesday night. On Wednesday night's game, geez, between the five-seeded Rays, will be on the road versus the four-seeded Oakland Athletics. Now, when I think of the MLB, there are always a few people who don't like the wild card format. Say, yeah, oh, you know, after their team loses, you know, let's say the Athletics uh, lose, like tonight, for example, I'll be a good example. The Brewers lose to the Nationals. Or vice versa, the you know the, the losing teams can be like, well, you know, we should at least have like a three game series. No, the wild card game is so fun. It, it's fun, but it's nerve wracking. As a fan, you're like, I don't know how I feel because you play so you play months and months of baseball to get to this point, and it's make or break one night. One night, let's go. And, you know, your season's right there. You 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 know, you fought hard. You didn't do enough to win your division, but you're still solid. Even if you had a great season, you have to win this night. So. 
if I'm a team in the wildcard position, I play my, I pitch my ace. I pitch my ace unless, you know, he's pitched in this position six times and blown it every single time, or he's pitched in this position even just three times, blown it every time. If I can't trust him, then I don't put my most trusted, my best, most trusted pitcher in these big spots. The wildcard games make or break. And these other series where you get five games, even the World Series where you get seven games, if you lose one game, it's not the end of the world. This is. It's the end of your season. And as much as every game is huge in any series, especially in the MLB, I mean, it's just one game can really swing things. But it's not the absolute end of the world. This is. I'm pitching my ace. But I'm going uh, Rays versus Athletics. Uh, this was a tough one to pick. I'm going to go with the Athletics, though. Uh, the Athletic, you know, when it comes down to the Rays and the Athletics, both of them were are pretty hot coming into. I wouldn't say like like smoking hot, but they're both pretty hot coming into this uh, kind of uh, wild card game. I went, I'm not home stretch; it's the playoffs now, Eden. Uh, but they're both uh, pretty hot. But when I look at the Athletics versus the Rays, they're kind of just two nothing-to-lose teams, right? Both two teams with very low payrolls, low expectations. Not really like the Brooklyn Nets because the payroll isn't really too similar and they're in Brooklyn, but still. Like, just two teams with low expectations, low payrolls, nothing to lose. The fact that they've got this far is impressive. But I'm going to go with the athletics. I just think all around there, you know, I think the home field advantage is going to play dividends for the athletics. I don't think it'll hurt the Rays because – Whenever they have home field, they don't even have a lot of fans anyway. I'm sure they wouldn't even sell out this wild card game if they were at home. But I think it I won't hurt the Rays, but it'll help the Athletics a little. And overall, I this one was hard to pick. There's only one game separating between uh, separating the two. So this was a tough one to pick. And on paper, this is debatable even, but the Rays have had a slightly harder schedule like Yes, the Astros are a little better than the Yankees are, but the Red Sox, actually, I take that back, looking at it now. I take that, but just scratch those last 15 seconds. But it, it's it's a tough one, but I think the Athletics are going to pull this out. A lot of gut feeling, too, because these wildcard games can go any way. It's one game. It's one game, but I'm going to go with the Athletics. Then I'm going to, uh, we move on to the ALDS. We got the Athletics on the road versus the Astros. Division rival, not rivals, but division foes here facing off. The one-seeded Astros are going to take this series 3-1. to one. I think the Athletics could maybe pull out like a game three or something like that. Or, you know, kind of like a game four. Yeah, they won't pull out the first game of the series, but maybe a game two or a game three. Make it a little interesting. But overall, the Athletics are going to lose. It will be a winning win season for them because not many people expected them to get it that get this far. I expected, I predicted they make the playoffs. I didn't expect it, but I predicted it. But the fact that they got this far is impressive. But the Astros, can you find a hole in that on that roster? They've got the starting pitching. They've got the bullpen. They've got the hitting. I mean, really, they've they've got the fielding. You know, the defense as well. I mean, this is just such a well rounded team and. The Athletics, I think this roster can only go so far. Then I've got the three-seeded Twins on the road. Uh, not on the road, the whole series, but you got my point, against the two-seeded Yankees. I got the Yankees winning this one in five games. I kind of want to make this four games, between four or five games, I'd say. Uh, when I look at the Twins, I kind of just see a roster that has 
really been playing well coming into the stretch, but they slowed down a little. They've heated up lately, but they kind of slowed down a bit. And nonetheless, they've been hitting bombs. And I think they're gonna make it at least they're gonna at least win one game, one to two games. And I can't, I don't see them getting swept, but they're not that experienced in the playoffs. Most of their players aren't really that experienced. They can hit really well. They're pitching both teams pitching's eh. But overall, I just look at it. I think the Twins can give the Yankees a series, but the Yankees will just be too much for the Twins. The Yan- There's no denying it. The Yankees have a better, better roster than the Twins do. No one can deny that. The Twins were in the weakest division in the American League, I think. I mean, personally, I mean, the Tigers and the Royals are the two worst teams in the American League. The White Sox were under 500, and the Indians, you know, heated up down the stretch, but... They're a 90, you know, 90 win team. Every division had a 90 win team. So, you know, that's the weakest division as well. I just think the Twins could potentially pull out a game or two, but the Yankees are just going to be too much at the end of the day. Then I move on to the ALCS. Two seed the Yankees versus one seed Astros. I've got the Astros winning the series 3 2 1. The, those Astros, they're really good. Listen, I think the Yankees walk into the series, the underdog. And they kind of come in and they just kind of look defeated. Yeah, they steal a game. But overall, I feel like they're going to kind of have momentum sucked out of them right out of the gate. Within the first game or two, the Astros are going to take a commanding lead or at least tie it up. Like, maybe the Yankees win the first game. Maybe I don't count that out. But I think right out of the gate within those first two games – the Astros are going to kind of suck the momentum out of the Yankees. The Yankees are still going to go out there and try. The Astros are just going to be too much. They're going to make some really good plays uh, and just overall kind of suck the momentum and the life out of the Yankees. You're just going to see some depressed Yankees faces. And it's going to be a good series overall, but I, I just see like a good series where the Astros are just too much for the Yankees. Kind of like the Yankees were too a little too much for the Twins. Then I move over to the NL, which things get a little debatable here. This is where I get a little, uh, just a little debatable. We got the Brewers on the road versus the Nationals. Five-seeded Brewers, four-seeded Nationals. I'm going to take the Nationals here. Max Scherzer is the best pitcher in baseball, period. I don't, you know what, you can come to me with another pitcher in mind. And you can put up a debate for a match. Max Scherzer is the best, best, oh God, the best pitcher in baseball. I didn't have this high of expectations for the Nationals. I thought they'd be solid, but not this high of expectations. They're nine and one in their last ten games. Brewers seven and three, respectable. Both teams are coming in this hot. The Nationals are coming in hotter than pretty much any team in baseball, right? Max Scherzer, best pitcher in baseball. He's been in these moments. The Brewers, no Christian Yelich. So I kind of look at these things. To me, the Nationals, you know, it's debatable, but the Nationals were in a tougher division. Got more wins. Better pitcher. Max Scherzer, best pitcher in baseball. I'm going to take the Nationals here, not to mention they're at home. No Christian Yelich either. I know the Brewers have kind of adjusted to that, but even if you've adjusted to it, they're worse without Christian Yelich, and that's Captain Obvious right there. I'm going to take the Nationals over the Brewers, although I would love to see an NLCS rematch between the Dodgers and the Brewers. I think that would be a good, interesting series, but I'm going to take the Nationals here. Then in the NLDS, speaking of that, we got the Nationals facing the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are going to sweep the Nationals. Uh, Max Scherzer probably won't pitch. 
I can't I can't see it if Max Scherzer pitches, you know, over 95 pitches. I can't really see him going out and pitching again. You know, maybe I could potentially see him pitching if it's 2-0, like they're down in the series 2-0. But I don't know. If, if they're down in the series 2-0 and he doesn't pitch too, too many pitches tonight, potentially. But if that happens, what, the Dodgers win the series 3-1? I think the Dodgers have got a good, good, not good, great deep team. They're just, the Nationals are good, and I think they've got some talent, but they're not that experienced. After Max Scherzer, I kind of look at it, and it's eh. You know, it's, it's not horrible after Max Scherzer, but I just think the Nationals just are... They're inexperienced. They're just with no, you know, Max Scherzer's gonna pitch, get him through the wild card round. But the Dodgers, at the end of the day, they're way too talented to lose this series to a Nationals team that's been solid. But the Nationals, in my mind, just I don't see them beating the Dodgers. I could see them potentially winning a game again. Maybe the Dodgers just don't have a great game. The Nationals are on their game. Mostly, I could see them winning. Maybe. If Max Scherzer comes in in a 2-0 series and just goes in and mows him down, something like that. But you have to kind of watch that. Maybe that's a case scenario going through the back of the Nationals' head tonight. They're kind of sitting there, all right, Scherzer's at 102 pitches. Do we throw him out here for this inning or are we comfortable? Maybe they got a 4-1 lead going into the seventh. Do we want to pitch Scherzer, uh, Max Scherzer here and really, you know, sure up this winner? Do we want to save him so that way maybe potentially he can pitch in a pinch if we really need him to? Because you can throw him out there for that seventh inning as long as he doesn't get hurt and he'll be able to pitch, you know, like game five if you need him to, right? But if the Nationals are sitting there and they're down 0-2 and Scherzer, you know, seems ready, I pitch him no doubt. But I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself. The Nationals still have to win and they still have to go down 2-0 for that to happen. Then I've got the Cardinals versus the Braves. Three-seeded Cardinals, two-seeded Braves. I'm going to take the Cardinals in five games here. Yes, in my preseason predictions, I had the Cardinals going all the way to win the World Series. The Braves are just a team that always chokes in the playoffs. They are just known for choking in the playoffs. You know, they they put together a good regular season team. They won 97 games in a tough NL East. But they just constantly choke. I think they'll put up a solid series and they'll be a little better than normal Braves, Atlanta Braves in the playoffs. But the Cardinals pull out with the series. And when I look at the Cardinals, I don't really see a team that is gonna go all the way. And I'm not saying they will. But I think I think they're gonna pull out the series. I think it's gonna be a good series. This is gonna be like the a very, very good series between two teams trying to prove something, and the Cardinals pull it out. Then the NLCS, I've got the Cardinals. Versus the Dodgers, and I picked the Cardinals in five. I can just already, I can already feel just the hate. I, not even the hate, just the hatred, or uh, lack of a better word, the anger with some of you right now. Pick me, the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals. To beat the Los Angeles Chargers, Dodgers in the NLCS. The Dodgers have won at this stage for the past two years. They won Game Five last year against the Brewers. I watched that game. I did. I watched it all. But I'm gonna go with the Cardinals, and it hurts. It hurts to say, but I'm gonna bite the bullet here. I like this Cardinals roster, and for the fact that I, I here's my issue. I'm not scared, but for the fact that I. I nailed 
my NL Central predictions, didn't I? I? You just heard it. I nailed those predictions on the head. I said Cardinals will win the division, Brewers will get the wild card spot, Cubs would miss the playoffs, and Reds, Pirates also third, fourth, fifth, in that order. And I also said the Cardinals would make the playoffs. Many people said they wouldn't, and they'd win the division too. I'm riding it out with the Cardinals. It's ride or die with the St. Louis Cardinals now, which, yes, means I also have them winning 3-2 versus the Houston Astros. Keep in mind that's a seven-game series, so no, they didn't win that, you know, all-or-nothing game for both teams. That's a, a seven-game series. Yes, they're beating the Astros in five games. Is that bold? Oh, of course it is. Uh, that's is that bad math? Three to two, four to two. My bad. That's a six game because I was just like, you can't win three to two in a seven game series. Four to two. My, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. But the Cardinals winning four to two over the Astros. Just unrealistic team going to three. Yeah, but th- th- that brings up that other point. Yeah, I have them going to five games versus the. Uh, the Braves in five games versus the Dodgers in the World Series against the Astros, and I'm going to six. If you know what I'm saying. The Astros have a great roster. The Cardinals are going to put up a great fight. They Who has more talent? But When they go up against the Braves, Braves versus uh, Cardinals, who has more talent? Braves. Dodgers versus Cardinals, who has more talent? Dodgers. Astros versus Cardinals, who has more talent? The Houston Astros. Not to mention the Cardinals are on the road for all those series. But I'm riding or dying with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Would I put a would I put my life on the Cardinals winning the World Series? Not a chance. I wouldn't do that for any team. But you got my point. The Cardinals, to me, seeing them actually win the World Series, seeing these predict like Mark, my, if the Cardinals go on to win the World Series, put me on ESPN. Put me put me on some big platform because I'm a genius. Who thought? The Cardinals would win it all. Not in, like, now. In what predictions do you see the Cardinals going all the way? Nowhere. What about preseason? No one even picked them to go to the playoffs. I picked them to go to the World Series. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. Do I think, do I bet it's going to happen? No. But I'm going to ride or die with the St. Louis Cardinals here. And I have them winning the World Series. So that is going to wrap up my 2019 MLB playoff predictions. Again, you can call in on the Anchor Mobile app, reacting to my predictions. Anything out there, your MLB playoff predictions, anything is on the table. So now to wrap up today's episode, we are going to do a complete week four review of every NFL game. So let's get to that. Okay, guys, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. That was a bit of a long episode today, but for the next three days, it's going to be tough for me to get an episode out there. I got a wedding coming up. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be like not many, much free time. I want to get my NHL predictions out there. I promise you guys, I won't change them. I've had them set up and I want to get them out there. We're going to continue my, uh, my NBA top 100 players list. My NBA prediction will be coming out soon. I'm going to discuss the MLB playoff race, any other news that comes out in the NFL, you know, the schedule. But I want to try to – I'm still striving to three episodes a week. Again, this episode was supposed to come out on Sunday, and then it's just a complicated process, but I just couldn't get it out there. So thank you guys for listening, and go follow me on Instagram, at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, that's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces for podcast alerts and just good sports content. And also go call in on the Anchor mobile app to kind of get your thoughts out there, ask me any questions on the podcast. So thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time. 
All right, guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing my biggest takeaways from every week four NFL game, excluding Thursday Night Football. We already got to that last episode. Then I want to get to Kyrie Irving's press conference. I know this was a while ago, you know, a few days ago, but I still want to get to that. I think it, you know, just tells us a lot about what happened, what failed with the Boston Celtics. How much do I buy into that? And then my MLB, uh, Playoff, not my, that's the fourth thing I'm going to do. But third, I want to go take a look back at my preseason MLB regular season predictions out the regular season is wrapped up. And then to wrap up, to, yes, to wrap up today's episode, I am going to be discussing or sharing my MLB playoff predictions. Uh, sorry, I meant to get this episode out Sunday, but then I didn't finish my MLB playoff predictions in time. So I, I that my MLB playoff predictions and my week four NFL review was uh, recorded today on Tuesday, and then the rest, the Kyrie Irving portion and me looking back at my regular season predictions were Sunday. So if you hear any like weekend references, I'm sorry. I meant to get that. I'm still striving for three episodes a week, but I'm not sure I'll be able to get one out for the next three days or so. A very very busy schedule ahead of me, but. Just enjoy today's episode. First, we're going to start things off with my week four NFL review. So let's get to that. 